if I had folks that I could lean on, reveal to, hear their story, and share that experience with, I think I would have had a much better time going through this. I wouldn't be so down. I wouldn't feel so alone. I wouldn't feel so anxious. I would have the assurance, confidence, empowerment to go through this experience and have more hope, quite honestly. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Startup Parent Podcast. This is the show where we get to talk to working parents, entrepreneurs, and business leaders about what it looks like to raise kids while also building companies. If you're in the thick of it with your career or your business and you've got little ones at home, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. We are back today with our second episode with Michelle Stevens. We're doing this episode in two parts. In the first part, the episode before this, we heard about Michelle's story, where she went from becoming a pediatric nurse practitioner to pursuing a PhD studying adverse childhood experiences, to pivoting and becoming an entrepreneur where she raised $9 million with her co-founder, Camilla, for OathCare, the company she co-founded. In this episode, I ask Michelle all about her experiences in becoming a parent. We talk about her journey in pregnancy, her experiences with pregnancy loss, her two kiddos today, and we talk about her experience with postpartum depression. In this episode, you'll hear us talk about the emotional needs of parents and how stressful it is in those early years of parenting, especially if you are an entrepreneur or you're going through a postdoc or a PhD or any number of things that people are doing in their careers while they are becoming parents. We look at what it really takes to see each other as human beings and what empathy means. Michelle and Camilla are building a company that's focused on supporting parents and caregivers at the critical time period of early childhood and parenting. And part of the work they are doing is looking at how they can support parents so that parents can be better able to support their kids as they go through life stressors. You may notice that Michelle's company, OathCare, sponsored a few of our episodes. They are one of our sponsors here at Startup Parent. But this show that you're listening to right now is not a sponsored episode. They did not pay to appear as guests on this show. Just so you know, whenever something is sponsored, we will always tell you. We recorded these two episodes over three and a half hours of interviews. One of the hardest things about being a CEO or being a manager or a leader is finding and carving out space to think. That is one of the reasons why I made the Wise Women's Council. Twice a month, we bring wise, vetted experts in to support you in your leadership development. Our core business trainings help CEOs and leaders make complex decisions more easily, learn how to say no, learn how to ask for help, and build a life and a business based on whole person leadership principles. Our leadership sessions support you in deepening your own internal wisdom, building at your personal growth edges, and improving your stamina and energy reserves. It's called the Wise Women's Council. We've been running it for six years now, and we open only twice a year for enrollments, once in the spring and once in the fall. If you want to find out more about this program and what people have to say about it, head over to startupparent.com slash WWC.
Also, a disclaimer for this episode, there is mention of attempted suicide and suicidal ideation. Michelle shares what her postpartum depression looked like, and I share what my depression has looked like. It can be unexpected, it can be sudden, it can be distorting. And talking about these stories we both feel is really important to share how quickly it can happen and what it can look like. Please know that these are personal stories, not medical advice, and our show is only for educational and informational purposes. Always seek the advice of your doctors. Search out your qualified health provider if you are worried. If you or someone you know is struggling, please know help is available. In the United States, the number 988 is the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. It's available 24 hours a day in English and in Spanish. And I didn't know this till I looked it up, but anyone can call the Lifeline at any time and get emotional support. So you don't have to be at the bottom of the barrel to get help. If you are just having a hard day, a stressful day, you feel completely overwhelmed, you can pick up the phone and call and you get support. If you are a Spanish speaker, you can call the Spanish Language Lifeline at 1-888-628-9455. And a big thank you to Michelle for your bravery in sharing your story. It matters so much, and there are so many people out there that are living things like this. All right, let's dig into this episode. Michelle, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Sarah. I am so excited to be here. You speak directly to so many things that people in our community need, and that's healthcare in the fertility, the pregnancy, the pediatric, the whole journey. But before I get into all of your expertise and wisdom, I actually want to ask you about you. Today is a Friday. What time did you wake up this morning? And what was the first thing that you did? Wow. I woke up at 5 a.m. I feel so exposed. (laughs) And I love it. I woke up to my alarm on my phone. I went ahead and checked some of the text messages that came in because I get to bed pretty early, waking up that early. So I got to bed around 8.30 p.m., like right after I put my kids down. Yeah. And woke up, checked some messages. I did a meditation and some prayer. And I hopped out at 5.15 to get dressed and ready and headed out to the gym. Where are your children in the morning? Yes. (laughs) I realized early on in my motherhood journey that if I wanted to have quiet time, alone time, me time, that was going to happen before they wake up. So yes, I cram in prayer, meditation, and workout before the kids wake up. My husband is at home with the kids. I actually have my sister who lives with us as well, which is such a gift. Trey and I, my husband, moved from Washington, D.C. to San Francisco when our first son was four months old. So we had no family out here, moved across the country to a brand new city, and we had all pairs at first, and they were absolutely great. But then my sister, who graduated college, right about when I was pregnant with my second, came out to study wine after studying hospitality and food and wine in college. She got a few internships and jobs. And I was like, don't leave, please don't leave. And her like young child, my story is she's the youngest sibling and she's so hospitable and so service oriented, loves family that like her heart for raising the boys was so evident. And even though we loved our all pairs after the one year, I was like, oh, 
Natalie, can you just take over and stay and live with us? That was when our second was one, and she's been with us ever since. Yes, three. Any three grownups. Just tell the yes. one person to get a 20-minute stitch of time. Okay, so what does that situation look like, if you don't mind me asking? Sure. If she lives with you, does she yes. have her own place? How is it going? Yes. So we have been fortunate through our, the two places we live in San Francisco that she has her own bedroom and bathroom, but she shares every other common space with us. Now, Trey and I, like she knew Trey since she was 10 years old. Trey has been like a brother to her. Like he was always in the picture to her kind of knowing him since she was so young. So it's really special that it works. Her personality is just very accommodating and kind and mature. I feel like our relationship has grown deeper because of it. We've become really, really good friends and learning from the all pair experience, how to really kind of keep professional and personal in buckets. And so we definitely have professional time in which we talk about her growth and development, talk about what's working and what's not working. So we have like one-on-ones every Sunday night where we sit down with her and go over the schedule for the week, go over even like longer term things. Because she has like other things she does on the side now that the kids are older. So she's a postpartum doula and she's a personal trainer. And so it's a lot of juggling and coordinating. And so setting that time aside to really specifically talk about professional stuff and just work stuff has been really valuable for us. I do want to know, what's the age gap between you and your sister? Nine years. Nine years. Okay. And then how old are your kids now? They're nine and seven, both boys. Nine and seven. So she's been with you for six years. Yes, exactly. Okay. That's so amazing. I can imagine a whole separate podcast asking about her and everyone listening. You know, the family dynamics are so challenging because so much of it comes to boundaries, communication, relationships, just like family dynamics, family systems, past trauma, all of that. But I am going to actively put that bucket aside because there's so many other questions I want to ask you. So we're back to the morning routine. You are able to go work out. What's your workout of choice? I am bodybuilding at the Jewish Community Center two blocks away from us. My sister and I actually go together. So that's a really great time for us to like be together and bond because usually we're like two ships passing in the wind. I take over for her. And so it's great. We're in there early. We're out before sunrise. It's pretty awesome quick hour workout to bodybuild. I actually transitioned to bodybuilding from CrossFit. So I can't help myself but talk about CrossFit because yes, what well, CrossFitter can, but I was CrossFitting for like, I don't know, 12, 13 years and really wanted to make the change. And it's great. My body feels amazing. Why did you want to make the change? Yeah, I wanted, actually, I was craving something new. I think I just felt like I was plateauing or actually kind of like decreasing in terms of my performance and capacity. And that might just be with age and that I'm like really like having a hard time accepting that. Did we ever talk about this? I'm one year into CrossFit. (laughs) It's delightful to hear you talk about that. And I'm still at the stage where people are like, you're going to do a snatch. And I'm like, I don't know what a snatch is, but we're going to do it. Okay. (laughs) Yes. We need to work out together. You're going to come to a community class at the gym because the gym has become my community such a great place where I can actually get out of tech, get out of parenthood, get into like folks that are just such an eclectic group, young, old, like native people that are coming from all over with all their chief, the post officer, the call owner, like everyone is there. Yeah, it's a really great place. 
And they've been my community pretty much for the past six years because I ran a bunch after my first and got to know San Francisco that way. So like ran over San Francisco with like my Bob jogger. A lot of hills. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> and it was great workout. I really wanted to weight lift. I wanted to get stronger. And yeah. it was one six minutes from my house. So oh. I was like, okay, fine. I'll try this thing. And now I come home and I'm like, you will never believe how much I deadlifted. <laughs> oh, <I'm> so satisfied. <laughs> because what I love about CrossFit is that it's so accessible to like anyone. And it actually focuses on movement and mobility. And that is the core for strength. Like I can actually do a lot more than the guys in my gym because I have ridiculous shoulder mobility and flexibility. That's great. Same. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's just, there's a lot of misnomers. There's a lot of misconceptions around CrossFit. And I'm just glad that you're even yeah. giving a little bit of platform so that people can know it's a really great outlet. It's really accessible and it's a lot of fun. And there's just so much more than just like picking up and putting down stuff. Totally. And you need a really good coach. Like if you don't buy yeah. a coach, then like, then walk right back out, like trust yourself. But I want to tie this back to community because I think something really interesting here is that there's so much lost in community, in our online world, the world that we live in, overwork, like we're all at work all the time with the pandemic. And these places, these spaces where we're able to meet like a different cross section of the world, it's not all moms that are, it's not all entrepreneurs, it's not all tech, it's not all women, it's not all men, right? There's just that ability to have all of these different groups is so important because then when I'm, you know, at the village community meeting fighting about where the cell tower goes, I'm like, actually, like, oh, I know you. I lift with you. Right. <laughs> yes. It creates more humanity there. Yes. OK, now I want to go back in time a little bit and I want to ask you about your parenting journey. So I like getting a sketch in the morning of just knowing like where you are and where you go, because it tells us about what your family looks like today. But the Things that I don't get to ask you about are what was it like to think about becoming a parent and how hard was it to become a parent? I know how many people struggle with infertility, fertility challenges. Like Becoming a parent is not an easy thing. Have you always known that you wanted to be a parent? What was that like for you? I do have quite a parenting journey. I'll take you back to basically when we were thinking about having kids, which is about five years after we got married. We felt like we were in a really good place financially, career trajectory, and I like checked off the major things that we wanted to, maybe in terms of loans and academic trajectory and work and where we were location-wise. It all just kind of felt stable. <laughs> How silly of us. And... <laughs> Yeah. We went on this like two week trip to Italy and we were like going to go all out before like we start building a family. Actually got pregnant on that trip. And my sister, who is the other one who was within a year of me. So we were like twins, basically Irish twins. And she got pregnant as well. So we were pregnant at the same time. Yeah. Which was actually great. We were so close growing up. She was living like 30 minutes away from me at the time. So it was like, oh, okay, now we're going to go ahead and build our families together and just live the rest of our lives together. 
We were eating burgers and fries after work together before we would go home to our husbands because like we were just so like prego and having all these cravings and having all these emotions that we would just lay on each other. And then at one of my checkups, I found out that the baby wasn't growing anymore. I lost the baby and it was really tough. The way the OB described it was like, here's the head and the arms and the feet and here's the heart and it's not beating. And I was like, okay. I felt so stupid because she was like, it's no longer viable. It just threw me. And I think the way that the OB did it was not great, but it was such, such a shock. And it was so hard to tell my sister and my family. My family never experienced infertility, like ever. If anything, it was the opposite problem. Like I grew up in a very Italian Catholic household. So it was do everything you can to not get pregnant, get married, and then do everything you can to get pregnant as soon as you get married. So it was just (laughs) a very strange dynamic to be able to present this to them. And I just will never forget how much love and support my sister. She came over right away and was just so supportive, even though I know it was really tough for her to live in that tension of like being pregnant still. But that started my infertility journey. And doctors telling me, you know, this is normal. It's okay. And I was just, this just doesn't feel normal. This doesn't feel acceptable. This doesn't square for me. And so as a clinician, as someone that was well-resourced, I decided to be my own advocate and asked a bunch of friends. I had actually one friend who was so, so helpful because a lot of what happened to me was like very similar to her. And she helped me figure out the nuances of things that it could be like an MTF, but MTHFR mutation. Turns out I did have a blood clotting issue. That was really helpful in directing my path as to what I could do for treatment. Sounds like you knew a lot about even just where to start and what to look for, but it's also so overwhelming. I mean, these OBs, they're delivering this news so perfunctorily, like, this is what's happening. And there's the bedside manner sometimes that they only have so many minutes with you. And yet you're sitting there and your dreams have been, I mean, I want you to tell us about what it's like. I was crushing. Trey was there, thankfully. So he was with me. I wasn't alone. But it was dreary, rainy day. I just remember like sitting in the car for hours. He literally was like, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? And I was like, take me to church. I just ended up going to church and just sitting in an empty church, sitting there praying, questioning. And this was just like the day of. I had a really hard time that day. It felt like my world was crumbling and falling apart. Things that I thought were normal, expected, even as a clinician, you never think it's going to happen to you. I have a story around the lab losing at a DNC. My family wanted to see if I could bury the remains. And so when I called the lab, the lab said, oh, we lost it. So they couldn't. There was no testing done. There was also no way to fulfill some like cultural and familial wishes with wanting to to bury the remains. That was really tough for me and my family as well. That really took me on a journey of 
self-discovery, what is going on with my body, what is even going on with this healthcare system, and all of these hoops that I have to jump through to like advocate for myself, to get the labs, to get the testing, to get the information. Are you open to telling us how far along you were? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was 12 weeks. Yeah. It was still a very early point in time, very much within the normal time in which this happens. It was so unexpected. It was so blindsiding. Even though I literally delivered babies, I'm very well versed in in what happens and what can happen. I think as a clinician, and this speaks to my experience later on in motherhood as well, there's just something that I put my mom hat on and I put my clinician at home on. And they're rarely on at the same time. And I think that's healthy in a lot of ways. And that also could be a bit detrimental in some ways. I did not see this coming. I fully believe that I was having this baby from when I found out I was pregnant and really felt blindsided. And honestly, sheepish when this happened. I just felt like, wow, I should have known. Wow, I should have been careful. Wow, I shouldn't have told as many people. Oh, I remembered. I was the first of my friends to get pregnant. I didn't have the example of all my friends not telling or waiting. So I just went ahead and told a bunch of people. And it was really hard to go back and tell them that that was not happening. And it was wonderful to feel so supported. But it also felt like I was really alone and really dealing with not only my emotions, but theirs as well that I was carrying. That's right. It's hard sometimes to find friends who will center you and your emotional experience. And we're humans. We're curious. People are like, oh, what happened? How was this? There's just so much that can go on in that moment. And you're reeling from the shock. When you said the sheepishness, that's so relatable. I feel for you so much because it's so hard. You can know everything. You can know all of it. And yet when it happens to you, when something like this goes on, oh, I too get punched in the gut. I too have heartbreak. It's so devastating in so many different ways, all those layered feelings. There's something that I asked someone else about and I want to ask you too, because I think this is also something that's very not understood. How long did it take between your doctor telling you and you getting the care that you needed? I think it was about three months because it took time to find friends, find the direction, find the perinatologist, fight to get the perinatologist to pay attention to me after one miscarriage. It took some time. It was like November. The holidays also kind of obviously dealing with the holidays is like a whole thing in and of itself. But really, it was the new year, about a month into the new year. I had the miscarriage two weeks before Thanksgiving. Oh, boy. I'm so sorry. I was trying to ask more specifically about the time between your OB telling you and then the DNC process. Oh, that was quick. That was really quick. The reason why I'm smiling is because I have a story about this that relates to what we're going through today currently in our society. My parents are very Catholic and they never obviously went through any of this, but they wanted to be there for me for my DNC. And what was so interesting was that, of course, my DNC was done at a abortion clinic. Yeah. Post outpatient abortion clinic. When I had conversations recently about Roe being overturned with my family, they had no idea 
that I was inside an abortion clinic. Technically, I had what is diagnosed as a spontaneous abortion and having the fetus be removed. And also telling them that if it wasn't removed, that it would have caused life-threatening conditions for me. It was this beautiful full circle moment around my hardships and challenges, helping them see like, oh, this does have such dramatic implications more than just having a fetus survive at at all costs. And the intersections between beliefs and healthcare. It was a really sweet moment that I could see my hardships having purpose and meaning and really seeing how they can be transformative in a lot of ways. Yeah. That's a little bit of an anecdote from all of that. But no, the DNC happened right away, thankfully, I would say within days. And what should people listening know about DNCs? Like if if people don't know what that is and to what I know, it's a dilatation and curlitage. So it is an extraction, a surgical procedure where I went completely under anesthesia and had the fetus removed. I had bleeding afterwards. I did not have bleeding before, but sometimes that happens depending on where sort of the viability is. And I had a pretty good recovery. Everything happened. I didn't need any sort of stitching. Everything healed really well and normal. And I was told that I couldn't try to get pregnant for three months for healing. And I know that may be variable, but they said for my body to kind of heal and get back to normal periods and whatnot, at least wait three months. Oh, and those three months were so hard to wait because all I wanted to do is just try again and go right back. But it was really good to have those three months, not only for planning purposes, for healing purposes, healing physically, emotionally, more than three months, definitely for the emotional healing. Definitely felt good after the three months from the procedure. How does it affect you today? Does it come up in your mental landscape at certain times of the year or does it influence what you think about? At times it does. I think what really helps is having my boys and having two generally healthy boys. I do want to share that even with all of the testing, with all of the interventions that I did, I still did not get pregnant for at least another year. And what I found was really the thing that did it was surrender. My story is that I was doing, 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 trying, trying, trying. I mean, all the things. And, you know, seven to nine years ago, these forums that were in existence were big forums that had no threads for chatting. It was just come and come and come and come and come and And your baby was compared to like a fruit or a vegetable. That was it. Didn't really have a place for really sourcing information as intimate and detailed as I needed it or even to share my emotions in groups with others. So even though I was going through my own therapy, it just felt like still very isolating, like I was the only one going through it. When I actually said, you know what, I'm done. I'm going to stop all of the 
injections and the inserts and the testing and the procedures to like clear out my tubes and whatever else, you know, standing on my head after sex. (laughs) When I surrendered completely, I found out I was pregnant the next month. So I hear this time and time again. But for me, that was very true. And it was like an inner surrender, a very deep, whole body surrender to the experience. We're going to take a quick break. If you are thinking about joining us in the Wise Women's Council, make sure you apply to join us during our spring or our fall enrollment. Head to startupparent.com slash WWC to find out more about the Wise Women's Council. All right, let's get back into it. Is there anything that you wish people would have said to you? or support that you wished you'd had? I wish I had community. My parents and family, as loving as they are, they just didn't get it. They didn't know. They weren't on the same path. They didn't get it. My friends, they were young. They weren't having kids yet. They didn't get it. It felt like, as a pediatric nurse practitioner at the time, I would go into work every day, welcoming new babies, helping moms nurse, giving them all the tips and tricks, holding babies, supporting moms. And I would leave the office most days crying, crying my eyes out, just so sad that they had theirs and I didn't. It was very, very hard to do this alone. And even though I was in therapy, which I don't know where I would be without that. It was still such a hard, hard thing to go through without other folks alongside of me who could validate my experience. If I had folks that I could lean on, reveal to, hear their story and share that experience with, I think I would have had a much better time going through this. I wouldn't be so down. I wouldn't feel so alone. I wouldn't feel so anxious. I would have the assurance, confidence, empowerment to go through this experience and have more hope, quite honestly. I want to thank you so much for telling us about your story and for sharing it with so many people who are listening. And I want to take a little bit of time to talk specifically about validation, what it looks like, what it doesn't look like, how important validation is. And it's one of the things that we talk about in our community so much, which is our impulse. And we all do this. You and I are doing this on this call. But our impulse is to get to the happy space really, really fast. To be like, and you know what? And it all worked out and it's all for better. And our impulse also when we're talking to people is to fix things. And I think this can be one of the most painful things to hear when you're going through something. You bravely share, you know, I'm struggling with my fertility and people are like, oh, I know a doctor and that doctor said you just have to eat kiwis. And you're like, it's not kiwis, right? Yeah. This is just an example. But offering solutions or trying to fix something is actually, in my opinion, it's about avoiding emotions. 
not about being able to sit there and be like, you know what? That sucks. That sounds hard. That's awful. That must hurt. That must stink. I've been there. I get it. I haven't been there. I don't get it. Whatever that is. Validation, and we do a whole class on this when I welcome people to our community. Validation is about saying, I see you. I hear you. And I'm not leaving you and your feelings alone. Yes. Oh, and I can't stress that enough. It feels like empathy and respect at its highest level. Because when you want to fix, when you don't want to sit with your own feelings, you are quite honestly putting yourself first rather than the other person. Yes. Thousand percent. Yeah. I feel like the assurance, validation, affirmation, the seeing, the hearing, the silence says so much more than any advice, any sort of help that you want to give in the moment. Yeah. The centering thing that you just talked about, I think it's so, so important for people listening. If you're having a tough conversation with a friend or somebody's going through something or you're going through something and you want someone to support you, the impulse. And I have this impulse all the time. I am a fixer through and through. I like solving problems. I like being strategic. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a parent. I want to fix things, right? Yeah. But this is one of those parenting lessons and one of those leadership lessons, which is the minute I try to fix something, what I have put first is me being like, look at me, I'm smart. Look at me, I'm smart. I feel good because I'm smart. And so I'm actually centering my feeling and my emotions to be like, Michelle, did you know that there's a fertility clinic that you can go to and you can fix all your problems? That Oh my gosh, I'm smart. Look at me. Instead of, and I think this is actually a sign that we're doing it right, is when I'm truly being empathetic with you, when I say, oh my gosh, that sucks. That must be so hard. I actually don't feel great. I feel some of your pain. I feel uncomfortable. I feel sad. I mean, honestly, what's going on with me too is putting myself into that position with you. I can't offer you assurances that things will be okay. I don't know. I don't know if you're going to have a kid. I don't know what life's plan is for you. Yes. And it's, oh, I can feel, I feel so sad because then I feel uncomfortable because I'm like, well, I just want to tell her it's going to be okay and I can't do that. I love what you're saying. It's so important. It's actually what my research has been all about. Understanding our reactivity, noticing it, noticing it, just noticing I'm sad, angry, scared, and accepting that like, oh, great, anger's here. Oh, great, sadness here, joy, fear, whatever. And by accepting it, by acknowledging it, then you can be more open and curious for what's happening outside of yourself. But the more you try to suppress, the more energy it's going to take to manage your own emotions. You're not going to have space and capacity to do anything for anyone else. It is so important what you said. It actually has life-altering consequences, health consequences for understanding your reactivity and acknowledging it even. 
I'm here to say that's such, such a big transformational piece of advice to acknowledge and accept yourself for being angry, sad, scared, so that you can make yourself available for the sadness and fear and anger that's happening outside of yourself. I've got thoughts and I've got questions. And to me, this is it. This is the nugget. This is everything that I feel like our generation, our season of life, like our era is meant to do because I feel like so many of us in our 30s, 40s, and 50s are waking up to the fact that we were never taught this, that we are one-year-olds and two-year-olds and three-year-olds in terms of even understanding the skill and having it modeled to us. And it's like, wait a second, this is terrifying because I've never done this before. Sitting with the feeling makes me want to jump out of my skin. And yet this is the kind of emotional revolution that needs to happen right now. Love that term, emotional revolution. Let's yeah. do like the work. And I feel like parenting is one of many avenues in which for me, parenting was one of the first times that I learned this and had to practice it, right? And then you get punched in the face. But I say like, I cannot solve my child's feeling. I just cannot. And me trying to solve it actually makes it worse. Okay. We're in it. I feel like you and I also like while you were coughing and losing your voice, I also feel like I'm channeling the voice of like what oath is doing and yes, you are thank you can you give us the closing reel or the reel of the rest of your parenting journey tell us the rest of that story in the highlights reel after surrendering and still needing Lovidox shots throughout my pregnancy and supporting my pregnancy in a high-risk way both pregnancies I had two healthy boys and I experienced a lot of anger, sadness, and fear with my second when he was around six to nine months old. It was pretty much a blur. But I told myself, oh, I'm sad because I'm experiencing marital conflict. I stood the test of time and this is never going away. We're just going to keep trudging along. Yeah. I'm, I guess, tired, stressed because I have two under two and I'm totally underslept and not taking care of myself. Of course, of course. I'm also in an accelerated PhD program and my husband has two jobs. He decided to start a company. So we're so stretched, we're so stressed. And what I didn't see was that it was postpartum depression. And this is one of those like blindsided moments. And the blindsidedness came when I held a gun to my head and was about to take my own life. And that is something I never, ever in my entire life would have ever thought of doing. Thought never even crossed my mind. And when Trey intervened, I knew right then and there, wow. I am sick. Things are not okay. And it was also blindsiding because it was my second, six to nine months after my second, which I then came to understand, even with all of my clinical knowledge, that postpartum depression, anxiety can happen throughout the first year. And of course, like it was hard to fill out those surveys, even though I'm getting them at my pediatrician's office. 
which as a clinician, I don't want to admit that things are not well. These surveys also have things on them like, are you happy? Yeah, sure. I'm happy. They're so entrenched in bold language, non-nuanced language, that it really didn't even capture what I was feeling. It went so far that I was at my end, was in my deepest and darkest and lowest point. From there, I was able to get the help that I needed and really feel supported in ways that I never did. So I not only received therapy, but I joined a mom's group. And this mom's group was out of my church, but it was the turning point of my mood and my emotional stability. It was really, really a chance in which I could fully be seen and heard and held and supported in ways that I was never before. I think it really woke Trey up to support me radically as well really step in and help with the tactical things. Okay, like let's really invest in getting support, not just emotionally, but physically. Like what are the things that are like really dragging you down? Meal service, cleaning service, just tactical things. And we considered it an investment that we would, of course, I'm like fully capable of doing these things, but is it at the cost of, my mental and emotional health. Yes. So we considered it an investment and it was paired with the mom's group. It was the best thing that we could have done. Some of that signs or symptoms or experiences, how did it get there? I honestly called it something else, but I was continually either angry, scared, or sad. It was one of those or a combination of those at every given point in time. And if I wasn't those things, I would make sure I was those things. That's where it got to. My body wanted to feel that because, I mean, my reality wasn't changing. It almost like my body wanted to fit the reality in which it was creating. The intrusive thoughts, I would also have thoughts around like my kids getting hurt at any point in time. That also made me question capability I had as a parent. Oh, we live in this crazy busy city, San Francisco. It's super dangerous. A car can like come out of the garage and hit us while we're on the sidewalk. Those type of things, like I would wake up in the middle of the night with these sorts of nightmares and even have daydreams of this too, even while just walking him on the street or playing in their playroom. These thoughts would pop in. And then definitely the crying myself to sleep would happen. When it really crescendoed, it was the combination of the landlord was trying to kick us out of our place. Trey and I had a huge argument. The babies are crying. It was just the perfect storm of events that literally led me to the thought of, it would just be better if I wasn't here. I'm causing all of this disruption. I'm causing all of this turmoil. The thought that I had, oh my gosh, like it would just be better if... All of this would go away if I wasn't here. It was like a moment. Like, and I felt so convicted around it. I felt so sure around it. And it was, oh, yes, of course. It's good for my family. This is what should happen. That's really what I remember from it. 
Have you ever had feelings like this before in your life? Yeah. Never. Never. And I'm here to say through all of my research and understanding, our bodies physically change. Yes, obviously, with pregnancy and postpartum. But they chemically and biologically change. And that was something, oh, physically changes. We get prolactin and we get elastase and relaxin and like, okay, yes. But no, we are a physically different human that goes through a second puberty with pregnancy and postpartum. Real hormonal changes that absolutely change our DNA. Yes, there is no getting your body back. No, you're living through a bodily transformation. Yes. Yes. And that was something that I didn't fully grasp and wasn't able to hold in this experience. I really much clung to like, oh, my body is physically changing. And yeah, there's some like hormones that change with it, but I wasn't getting the whole mental, emotional, full body change that was happening. And with sleep deprivation and high levels of stress, like housing insecurity, having someone try to kick you out and then having a lack of support from a partner that may have two jobs, right? All of that added stress. Any individual one of those things it wreak havoc on us, even when we're not going through all of the postpartum changes. Totally. Totally. My curiosity wants to know how you said you had a gun to your head. How did that end up that you're still here today? Yes. Miraculous. I was putting it together because our gun is kept apart in pieces in a lockbox. And so at some point during the time, because this is very fuzzy, very, very fuzzy, but Trey says he was downstairs and I was upstairs in our bedroom. And at some point I was putting the gun together and he literally came up the steps and just like threw me to the floor. And just like took the gun out of my hand. If he didn't hear the gun be put together, it would have been a very different story. So wild, Sarah. So wild. I can't even believe I'm like here. Yeah. Yeah. I want to take some time to validate one of the most challenging things about things like this is that it doesn't make sense when your brain, your mind is working. They're like, I would never think that I would be rational. Yeah. But these distorted thoughts, the way they change, the way stress acts upon the mental landscape, it becomes a totally reasonable and rational thought. I'm trying to think of an analogy for people when you are in the middle of the night and you haven't slept and it's been so long and like everything is upside down and like you're like just begging someone to get you a water bottle and outside people are like why can't like the sink is right there just get up and go to the sink the sink's there and you can't like there's you've gotten to a place where you just cannot and so many other people have so much stress that they're holding themselves they don't see you if you're in that place it can feel like the natural next step people know that i talk about this on the podcast especially in the wise ones council like i do have a history of depression and anxiety so i've been it since i was 14 ish my most recent bout, and I feel like I'm yanking the podcast back, so I hope that it's okay for me. Oh, please. I love hearing this. I now have the vernacular to be able to say, and this happened to me a couple of years ago, I was like, I am no longer on the hiking trail. I am falling down the side of the mountain. Things have started sliding, and my partner and I talk about it. We need to be able to get to a place where we're not hanging off the side of the cliff asking for help, but we're on the hiking trail asking for help. 
And I felt it. I felt everything start to slide because thoughts that I had when I was 14 and 17, thoughts that I never thought I would have again. I thought I put that all to bed. I thought it was all well and done. Those, they started coming up. And for me, the way that it looks is it's not suicidal ideation, but it's sharper images of death. Okay. And so like I start wishing that a bus would hit me. Mm-hmm. And the relief associated with this, somebody needs to stop this and I don't have the ability to stop this. And that fantasizing about it and I could fail. It was like the edges start to get sharper and like the number of times I think about death starts to get louder. And fortunately, I'm now first in this that I called a psychiatrist. I got a new somatic therapist. I talked to my husband. We put all the resources in, right? Like all of the, unfortunately, like wealthy white privilege that allows for these resources to come in. Right. Um, this should be like basic standard. And I know this is part of what you're working towards. Yes. I want to say for that reason, I get it. Yeah. And it is just for all the moms out there and the dads, right? Like dads also get postpartum depression. Yeah. Yes. Out there feeling unwell, feeling not just tired, but angry, crying more than normal. Yes. Whatever that looks like for you. Avoiding your friends, being pissed at your mother-in-law more than normal. <laughs> oh, yeah. The resentfulness of that. There's so many good things out there now to support, but I just want you to know parenting is one of the hardest things. Being human is just a hard thing. Sarah, thank you so much for sharing with me. Your story is so sacred and I feel you so much and really relate to that. As you talk about your experience, I can see now that my relationship with death did get more sharp. I love how you used that word. It felt so normal, accessible. It felt clear. And I really appreciate and I'm so sorry that that was your experience. It's been part of my life story. So at this point, it's more like, I'll put this in the show notes. I have an article how to go to therapy if you've never been to therapy before. Mm-hmm. And I talk on podcasts about guys going to therapy. How do you do it? Because like for emotional toddlers, men are emotional babies. Like they're just like, or we're preschoolers or kindergartners. The world is, I'm not going to swear because I'm trying to do a better job of editing. Wraps <laughs> all over. Yeah. Guys, man up, buck up, don't have a feeling. And it's like, no, 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 no. Our most beautiful men in the world have huge feelings. All you need to do is look at a child to know that everyone has feelings. Oh, yes. Okay. Ooh, I have to put some preamble on this. Tell people what they're getting into. Yeah, um, I would appreciate a warning. We will. Uh, I used words. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Michelle, thank you. Ball's amazing. I was going to say the same thing. Thank you. I've never had a podcast experience like this. Yes. We've never gone this deep. And I just appreciate you willing to go there and your ability to hold it all and share and ask and reveal. It was just beautiful. Can we just like live our lives more like this, please? Absolutely. And I mean, that's like, this is never on a sales page. It's one of my missions. It's like teach people how to listen and care for each other better. Yes. You two are up to incredible things. And I'm just so grateful to be a part of a small sliver of that. Thank you. More soon. Bye. Thanks, Sarah. 
I want to tell you a couple of things that people have said about the Wise Women's Council. One of our members said, the business support is top notch. On one of our calls, one person said, my mind is already blown and we're only seven minutes in. Hillary said, Sarah, you are one of the best facilitators I have ever met. And Dana said, if you're somebody that regularly designs community or holds space for other people, here's a place where you don't have to because Sarah has figured it all out for you and you can just be when you're in this space. Caroline said once on a call, she said, I'm normally one of those people that's thinking all the time about how you can facilitate something better. And Caroline said, I don't have to do that when I'm with you. Michelle said it's one of the only places she doesn't have to code switch between so many different identities. She doesn't have to hide being a mom. She doesn't have to hide being a business owner. She doesn't have to explain herself over and over again to different people and have them not understand her. If you are living at the intersection of parent, mom, business owner, leader, entrepreneur, facilitator, or you are running a company, come check out the Wise Women's Council. That's a place I made for you. It's what I needed when I first became a parent, and we've been running this program for six years. Head to startupparent.com WWC to find out more about the Wise Women's Council and apply to join us today. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. It is a pleasure to be in conversation with you. You can find out more about everything we talked about and all of the show notes here on your podcast player, or you can head to our website, startupparent.com. I want to give another shout out to all of our amazing sponsors who help make this show possible. We are so grateful to get to work with you and partner with so many wonderful companies and organizations that are dedicated to making life better for entrepreneurs, female founders, and working parents. If you are interested in sponsoring the show and partnering with us, then head to startupparent.com slash sponsor, and you can send a note to our sponsorship team. Did you know that we have a new Substack and we have a secret podcast? Oh, yes, we do. Head to Startup Parents Substack. The link is startupparent.substack.com. I'll put the link in the show notes and check out our secret podcast. When you become a paid backer, when you upgrade your subscription and you join our community, you get lots of perks for being a community member. For our paid backers, I host a monthly private podcast where I dig into the nitty gritty of business building and parenting and everything in between. Listeners and readers get to submit questions, then I pick one or two each month and we dive deep into it. In addition, for our paid backers, we host our Startup Parent Monthly Book Club. This is where we get to talk about interesting books with other smart and interesting and kind people. And I run book club a little bit differently. You can read the book if you have time, but chances are you don't always have time to read the book. So the way I host book club is that anyone can join whether or not you've read the book because I give you a summary of it up at the beginning and then I frame up four questions from the book that we can talk about and you'll always be in rooms with other people that have read the book so we can share knowledge and wisdom. The purpose of book club is to have rich and interesting and insightful conversations not to judge you on whether or not you had a chance to read a book. So our secret podcast and our private book club those are just two of the perks that we offer for people who become community members and that's not all. I love getting to say that phrase. That's not all. There are actually a lot of other perks, and I'm going to let you discover them when you go to our Substack. Last but not least, if you liked this episode, I would be grateful if you would leave us a review. It means a lot to the show, and it helps other people find us. 
So definitely leave a review. I read every single one of them and I'm so grateful when I see your name in my inbox and when I see that people are leaving more reviews. So thank you for doing that. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here and I will see you on the next episode.